0: This is episode 292 of the Real Me and colon, A Movie Podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at The Goldfinch, a film adapted from a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, as well as going over the week in movie news and movie trailers. All that and more on today's Real Me In. What is up, everybody, and welcome to to the newest episode of Real Me and a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Chase Lee, and uh, this is a podcast where we love to just talk about movies. So if you are a new listener or someone that took a chance on us, welcome. Hopefully you stick along uh, on this journey with us uh, and just hear us uh, analyze as well as we can of the movies that pour out of Hollywood. Um, but thank you for joining us. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. Uh, This is episode 292. We will be going over Warner Brothers' attempt to start off Oscar season with The Goldfinch. What did we think about it? Is it as bad as people from TIFF made it out to be? You will sit there and find out because that is just what you will do. Um, But it will be uh, quite a discussion regardless of what we think. Uh, And then, of course, all the movie news and trailers that drop throughout the week. But uh, before I throw it over to my, my cohort over there and ask him how his week was, if you guys could spread this episode around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to, we would greatly appreciate it. And so, uh, yeah, it's uh, episode 292. Let's get this going. Joseph, how is it going, sir? How, how are we doing over there? It is the, we're almost done with September. You and I were just talking about this today, and it, uh, it frightens me to my core because you are a month and a half away. From turning 30 and dying i am a couple months from turning 30 and dying and so uh it's uh we're gonna be like little caterpillars we're gonna, we're gonna go in little shells and we're gonna just come out as beautiful butterflies it's gonna be uh, uh quite magical so uh how, how you doing over there
1: beautiful dead butterflies um <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah no it's it's been a uh an enjoyable week uh for sure i've just been kind of um Catching up on Superstore, I, st- I started watching that show, which is really funny. Somebody who has worked in the retail industry for the past seven or eight years, off and on, mostly on. Um, it is a it is a startlingly startlingly accurate show. Uh, it is, I mean, it's all you know filtered through comedy, but it's it's more accurate than probably most people would like to think. Um, really funny too. Great cast. America Ferrera. Ben Feldman, who people might might uh, recognize from Cloverfield, I guess. I, I think he's been on some other stuff. But he was the new boyfriend in Cloverfield, if you can remember that. Um, and he's on this show. And you have, um, oh, goodness, Lauren Ashe, Nicole Bloom. Not a lot of big names, but ones that deserve to be big names. And uh, Colton Dunn's really funny. Anyway, really good show. Uh, definitely urge y'all to check that out. It's all on Hulu right now. I'm, I'm hooked on shows on Hulu. Other than that, um, let's see. Oh, I've been catching up with just regular, like first time viewings of stuff like, um, Grand Canyon, the movie from Lawrence Kasdan that has a giant cast, Kevin Kline, Stephen Martin, Steve Martin. I can't remember if I mentioned this last week or not, cause I can't remember when I watched it, but, um, but I, but I saw that recently, loved it. Um, Oh goodness! What else did I see? Anyway, some 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 other stuff. You know, obviously saw the goldfinch on Monday. Got, saw, ad astra about an hour and a half ago. <laughs> I got out of that, so I'm glad to have a week before we talk about that one. Um, saw Downton Abbey yesterday. Of course, I was in posh nerd heaven because it was really good. So, um, huge fan of that show, and it was very satisfying big screen adaptation. Um catching up with movies from earlier in the year that might have that might play for my uh top 10 so watch stuff like the souvenir fast color um what else so transit little woods uh some of those aren't contenders but those are movies that i that i considered might be ashes purist white um yeah really really solid uh bevy of of movies there and anyway otherwise just kind of just kind of chilling generally so that's me uh did you have an eventful week at all
0: uh well work it kept me busy but other than that right. <laughs> not really um yeah there was no screenings this week or anything uh you know fantastic fest is going on in austin right now so that's only a few hours away from us and i went there once uh very very fun time i'm hoping uh I can expose Joel to uh, that goodness because it is absolutely insane. Um,
1: I definitely want to go at some point. Oh, I can't
0: can't wait! You're going to be scarred for life. Uh, Whatever movies that we see, you're going to be like, "What is this?" Uh, Because they're all they're all. um, It's a film festival that focuses on genre pictures, so expect super uh, violent movies. um, You know, movies that have their premieres there. Uh, I know they are uh, they did Jojo Rabbit there um, yesterday. I know they're doing Knives Out as well. So uh, perfect movies for that uh, festival. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, uh, I forgot to tell you guys. Uh, I will uh, – well, I mean, I, I think I told you guys, but it was probably a long time ago. So just to reiterate, I will be attending the, fir- the first ever North Texas Film Festival uh, next weekend. Kind of cool that I can go to two of them a year now uh they're uh around me um and so i'm really excited to watch a couple of them uh, because one of them doesn't open till december and one of them just got pushed till february of next year uh one is clemency and the other one is the lodge so excited to review those for you guys um but yeah uh seeing abominable tomorrow uh you guys will get a mini review on that Uh, and then I, I was just telling Joel before we started recording. I just got the screening uh, link invitation for the Death of Dick Long, and you can bet your sweet bum I will uh, sign up uh, for it and watch it again. Um, because uh, I want want my fiance to see it. Uh, So, uh, oh boy, yeah, oh boy. That (laughs) hey, uh, yeah, you want to watch this really family friendly movie, Uh, and then she'll be okay with it. Um, no, she she likes that type of stuff. As far as other movies, I don't. I think that's it. Uh, and then television, um, kind of. Yeah, kind of a relaxed week again. Just kind of getting uh, ready for uh, next week because next week starts the fall kind of kickoff TV season with like the Good Place, South Park, uh, This Is Us. Pretty much every uh, show I watch uh, happens uh, next week, including like Netflix. A bunch of them start coming out, so. Excited for that! Um, we caught up with the pilot for the new se- or not the pilot, but the you know uh, first episode of the ninth season of American Horror Story. This is the one where they take on slashers. So it's a uh, American Horror Story nineteen eighty four. I-, I gotta tell you, I was uh, very unimpressed with Apocalypse last season, but um, this one's really cool. It's got the the um, American Horror Story theme. Uh, Reduxed into an 80s synth techno beat that uh, was really cool. I, I love the the way it looks because um, they really kind of capture that grindhouse attitude of uh, that era and just everything from the costumes and the production, everything. I I gotta hand it to them; uh, they did a pretty good job with that. But it's like a mixture of Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees, so it's it's pretty cool so far. I will give the first episode credit for that and then I will keep reiterating this until it uh, is done for the season please watch The Righteous Gemstones if you like uh, Danny McBride or Vice Principals the other HBO show he was a part of please watch this one it's just he takes these ideas and just makes them so extreme and they're just so much fun to watch Um, yeah so I think that is it on my end Um, oh uh, I I know that you guys are getting sick and tired of it, but I gotta tell you, after three months of complaining about the heat on this show, we finally had a day of relief. And I think it was uh, it was yesterday and slightly today. It was cloudy. It was so <laughs> great, and uh, I I almost shed a tear of joy. Uh, it, was, it
1: was a it was a miracle. It I know, like it,
0: it was the first time where I stepped out of my car, I looked up into the heavens, and I said, "No back sweat today." Thank you. Uh, I walked into my house and uh, uh, sat in the cold. Um, so, yeah. um, that's pretty much it on that front. So some trailers dropped this week, Joel. Uh, not a lot, but there were some. One um, I just talked about. Another one drops uh, next year. And uh, what was the other one? And another one. Looks like a uh, an Oscar contender, just kind of like sneakily getting in there that we kind of knew about, but the trailer dropped this week and it looks fantastic. I actually like all the trailers this week, but I'm gonna start the one with the one I just talked about, which is Clemency. This one stars Alfre Woodard and Aldis Hodge. Uh, I guess Aldis uh, Hodge is a uh, film festival darling for me this year because uh, he was in Brian Banks when we went to diff, so now he's in another one that I will be watching next week, but this one um, is about Alfre Woodard's character. She is a uh, warden, and she takes a part in um, death row executions, so after many, many years of doing that, she has decided that she doesn't want to do it anymore, but someone pulls her back in and she uh gets uh roped in to do one last uh job and this is aldous hodge's character and just all these years of putting these inmates on death row it's taken a toll on her and she starts to actually connect with this young man and really kind of fight for uh him not to be executed so it it looks awesome um, it, it kind of looks like uh, the visual aesthetic kind of looks like Mindhunter uh, a little bit. And I, I know it's kind of a weird comparison, but I just got done watching the new season, and that's about serial killers, you know, death row, prison. So um, it's got these uh, kind of like striking blues and grays throughout the entire time. It just it, So it really kind of adds to the, the drama element a little bit and just kind of amps up this intensity uh, throughout it, and reminds me of a David Fincher film, and I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Alfre Woodard looks like she's at the top of her game. I've always liked her, and one of my favorite roles uh, she has done thus far is uh, be the the villain in the Luke Cage series, you know, the very short-lived Rest in Peace series, but um, she was fantastic on that. And then Alice, Aldous Hodge, I said when we saw Brian Banks at the film festival, I said, this is this is great work because the only thing I've ever seen him in was that terrible, what men want movie. And, um, he stepped his game up and I really loved him in it. I gotta tell you, this movie looks like his performance and clemency can slap Brian banks to the ground and be his best one yet. So that gets me super stoked about it. And I can't wait to see it. I see it next Friday and you guys will get the full review on that. Um, Probably Saturday or Sunday, I'll do an extra episode where I review all the. Uh, well, no, it'll be Monday. I'm an idiot because I'm watching movies all three days. But uh, yeah, super excited to see this one next week. Clearly,
1: uh, clearly, what man want was cash grab, and it was an easy hit because it, <sighs> you know, hit with an audience. But yeah, I mean, he's he's good, and he was really good in Brian Banks, and. Looks good in this, and I love Witter too. Actually, um, she's another of the actresses in Grand Canyon, which I mentioned that I watched. Mm. Um, and she's in that with like Mary McDonnell. And anyway, it, yeah, it's yeah, she's a great actress, great great actress. Anyway, yeah, love love seeing her and stuff. Can't wait to see her enter the enter the season with this one. So
0: yeah, it, hey, listen, I uh, I've been really impressed with Neon this year because they have this. They have Parasite that looks like it's going to be a, a really strong contender this year. And they have Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So they're doing really good work this year. So good on them. Uh, The next film uh, comes out next January, January 31st to be exact, and it's called The Rhythm Section. This one comes from Paramount, and it's about a woman who seeks revenge against those who orchestrated a plane crash that killed her family. And the lady that's seeking revenge is played by uh, Blake Lively, and it also stars Jude Law. This looks great. I've always wanted Blake Lively to step up her game and do uh, a revenge film like this and be this kind of, like, assassin. Uh, it, it looks it, – yeah, it looks great. And um, I was really impressed – because I, I finally caught up with it, I think, earlier this year. I, I probably already told you guys um, and I, I told Joel. But I was really impressed with her uh, in um, A Simple Favor. And she kind of had this, like, seductive, alluring attitude about her. But she could also, like – kick your butt and kill her, don't mess with her type of attitude. And it was a really kind of commanding performance that she gave. And so I wanted to see her kind of do more stuff like that and take on these um, um, roles that she's really never done before. And this looks like and, it And be it.
1: two words, guys, the town.
0: And the town, too, yes. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic
1: great. in yeah. that movie, and it's a great movie. So anyway— yeah. The, the, she can be she can be really good. I she's been in some crap before Green Lantern and stuff, but she she is good when she's good.
0: And I, I you know I'm really, looking forward to this one. You know what's really weird and I don't know if this is the case, but ever since her and Ryan Reynolds got together and this is on Ryan's part two, they both have gotten stronger. <laughs> it's like it's kind of incredible how both of them have kind of helped each other out um to get better at their craft. So I don't know what they're doing at home, but It's working. Um, So, yeah, it looks really great. So I'm hoping the January date isn't uh, a red target on this thing. So Paramount, please give us a good movie. Uh, You can be very (laughs) more uh, missed than hit. So the last trailer I want to talk about, and this one could sneak in to maybe Joel and uh, I's top 10, possibly a serious awards contender. And uh, when you have the director of Carol... It seems like that's a possibility. This one's called Dark Waters, and this one uh, focuses on a corporate defense attorney who takes on an environmental lawsuit against a chemical company that exposes a lengthy history of pollution. The attorney at question is played by Mark Ruffalo, and uh, Anne Hathaway is in this. Uh, One of my favorite people, because he's on The Good Place, and he was in Midsommar. Uh, William Jackson Harper's in this. I mean, give that guy more roles, please. Bill Pullman, Tim Robbins, Victor Garber. I mean, th- this thing is like it's like nineties um, And I saw
1: and I saw this trailer too, by the way. Oh you did? Be- yeah, because uh, I went in with I saw Downton Abbey with my family and it played in front uh, of that.
0: Oh okay and so that makes sense I, I didn't movies. I didn't want
1: to just wait outside. If I'm going with them I'm gonna watch the trailers and whatever happens, happens. But um yeah. Go ahead. I'll I'll give my thoughts. Uh, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say that uh, uh, you know you got Todd Haynes behind it, who is really mm-hmm. great with uh, with characters and really uh, an oh, yeah. actor's director for sure. And I haven't seen Mark Ruffalo um, in anything striking probably since Foxcatcher, and this looks right. like he could be hitting that level again. And you know everyone just looks like they're on on their game. I love corruption movies. I love real life stories or anything that mirrors real life stories this just looks like a a great espionage thriller of an attorney trying to take down the chemical plant and I'm yeah, here and
1: for it. and the story I mean is very relevant right now because there's this ongoing and stupid debate about whether or not human led climate change is uh is a thing and this is this is part of it I mean it's literally changing the chemicals in the water in the town, and yeah, it's it looks really intense. Uh, it looks a little conventional for something to for Todd Haynes to be behind, but so I'm I'm fascinated whether or not there's going to be the usual Haynesian kind of quirks in the filmmaking and all of that. Um, but when he's great, he's great. I liked Carol, didn't love it. I wasn't I wasn't overly impre- uh, uh, impressed with Wonderstruck. I thought that was a little dis- 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 disjointed. But man, Far From Heaven is is. A masterpiece, a completely different movie from this one. But man, when he's good, he's good, and I I love this cast. Um, I love the visual look that it's that it's giving us, and yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for this one. So looks really really intense and well acted. Sure. Yeah,
0: it's uh, it was a great trailer that came out of nowhere because I remember. When we did the fall movie preview, we were talking about it, and I was like, "Okay, cool. Are we going to see a trailer for this thing?" Right, <laughs> and uh, it comes out in like a month. and Well, a it half, was. So. It was
1: honestly at that point, it was one of those things like, "Is it actually going to be coming out?" Because it was, right. it was getting to that point where it was about to show it at festivals, and you want something like this, or or potentially showing at festivals. I don't think it is anymore, but no, um, you want something like this to break, you know, around that time, and it wasn't, and everybody was like, "Where is the trailer?" And, yeah, so really uh, certainly
0: a successful launch. <laughs> yeah, it, it comes out the week that A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood comes out. So what a great contrast in films. <laughs> like, here's this very cheerful movie. Please be kind to others and don't be a terrible person. And, oh, here's this other movie about terrible freaking people. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I cannot wait for, for that one. That So all three of the trailers this week, guys, they all look solid to great. So... Yeah, uh, there's really nothing more to say. Those are the only three that dropped this week. Kind of a light week. Um, I'm expecting a uh, lot in
1: front of Joker.
0: Yeah, I was going to say there's not going to really be any that drops this next week, but probably in front of Joker there's going to be – I wouldn't be surprised if – I mean, I don't think they will. I'm just saying I wouldn't
1: be surprised if they break stuff maybe a week or more before before Joker comes out. So I, I think that there could be a few this next week and then they'll they'll just they'll release them online keep them for Joker and then um, and then that'll be when they release in theaters but I don't know yeah we'll see yeah.
0: who knows but uh, yeah, maybe that, some
1: kid, maybe some kids movies because of Abominable but, uh, but we'll see
0: yeah that's true uh, may- maybe uh, oh maybe Joel I'll get a a trailer too to Trolls World Tour I, I'm really yeah. excited to see it and uh, I know uh, please get to the news
1: <laughs> once we <laughs> Once we get to our uh, our top five most anticipated of the year, his number one is Trolls World Tour. Okay.
0: Oh, I almost threw up a little bit. <laughs>
1: That's what I like to do. Uh, I like to, to to cause mayhem. All right, uh, folks. So it's funny because I sent Chase notes earlier today. And then doing a little bit more research into one of those points, uh, I found that if. <laughs> It was wildly overstated. So we're not going to be talking about the apparent remake of *The Princess Bride* because there isn't one. What What was stated was that Norman Lear was talking about how somebody, and he wouldn't name names, wants to do a remake, um, but nothing about it actually being in development. So I fell for the uh, I fell for the trap. I usually try to do better. Research before <laughs> talking about it. So this drops down the the amount of time we're going to be talking about notes this week uh, a lot because we were going to be ragging on the terrible idea that that was, and it is a terrible idea. Don't remake the Princess Bride; it's perfect. Um, you don't need to do that. I mean, maybe like a sequel series or something like they're doing with the Dark Crystal. Maybe that, but no, see, no remake. We don't need that. Uh, luckily, it doesn't seem to be happening, so I can move past that. Uh, Chase, are you happy that we can move past that as something to <laughs> Yeah, happening?
0: that that pretty much uh, eases my soul.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, but there is there are some uh, some things in development though, and it all kind of broke this week. Um, the first is interesting. So we have a Barbie movie coming out uh, that stars Margot Robbie. So uh, supposedly going to be directed by uh, Greta Gerwig. I think that she signed on to that. And we actually have another movie surrounding Barbie that is going to be coming out. It's called Dream Doll. And it is a biopic about Ruth Handler, who was the founder of Mattel and the creator the creator of the doll. Um, so basically, it's just going to cover the, the high points of her life, including founding the company in 1945. Uh, she invented the doll, and it was named after her daughter in 1959. Um, and then... It, be, it went on to become a Fortune 500 company. She was, She's one of the few women to run one of those, and, uh, or at least at the time, um, I think for a while after that. And uh, it's going to be going deep into the experiences of just her personal struggles of building the company. So I think that this actually has a real chance at working. It's going to be produced by Rita Wilson, who is, uh, uh, just so people know, Tom Hanks' wife. And um, uh, yeah, it just seems like a really good, Really good project for her and uh, Bronze Studios. I think is um, taking this on. Bronze Studios and Rare Bird Films. I'm not familiar, super familiar with them, but I'm excited to see the story. It's it's uh, it's always very interesting to see this um, this kind of thing. You know, we just had a. I thought we just had a really interesting one with uh, the creator of the Miracle Mop with Joy a couple a couple years ago, which I liked a lot. I know that a lot of people didn't. But it takes an unlikely you know story um, you wouldn't you wouldn't think from afar that it would be interesting but makes it or, or illuminates something interesting about it. So I think that if if they can bring some kind of energy like joy to this then uh, and both the movie and the the feeling <laughs> uh, then this could be really successful. I think that this could be a, uh, a real a real big uh, real big success. All right the next one is very cool at least I think so. Um, you know Disney has been hyping up a lot of Disney Plus releases, and so it seems like every once every week or so we hear about a new Disney Plus project, right? But here is a case where Disney is optioning um, a movie for the theaters, so it's not going to be a Disney Plus, although it will obviously original, uh, 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 I'm sorry, eventually be on there, but it's not going to be Disney Plus. Um, only for that, it's going to be a theater release, and it's called Knights. That's Knights with a K. Um, I kind of wish they would change this, but it's going to be um, written by Matt Orton, whose only real big claim to fame is writing Operation Finale from last year. Good movie, not probably not a great uh, <laughs> uh, indication of what the the quality of this will be, but. It's going to follow a headstrong young woman who joins a knight in his quest to destroy a world-threatening artifact before it falls in the wrong hands. So it's interesting that uh, we have a story about a knight, but it's going to be following the female character, um, which is really cool. You don't, you don't have that a lot. She's usually either the damsel in distress or some sort of sidekick or romantic interest. So maybe there will still be romantic, romantic elements of this. I don't know. It's too early to tell. Uh, but this actually joins a couple of other um, projects that are just going to be for for theaters, including the Sword and the Stone remake that's coming from uh, Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, and uh, the Merlin saga from Rid- Ridley Scott that we I think we actually covered that on here. Um, so, yeah, uh, it should be interesting. It sounds like a promising premise, and I like um, I like Disney when they have live. Live-action adventures. Uh, some of their family stuff isn't very good, but it, even if it's family and it's and it's sort of in this vein, I, I think that this should be good. And it's original, so that's uh, that's always a plus. Um, the next one, all right, I don't have much of a stake in this. I've never seen it, although I know that it's a very popular movie. Back in 1990, uh, 1990. Uh, There was a movie called House Party that was directed by Reginald Hudland. Or Hudland, sorry, no D at the end of that. Um, Starring Kid and Play, uh, Christopher Reed and Christopher Martin, rap duo from the 80s. Did a movie called House Party, and uh, very popular comedy, um, still really popular at our stores. People always sell it and buy it uh, at weirder... Um, at a strange rate, it's I don't know. It, I guess just our particular city has a has an affinity for that movie. I've never seen it. It's one that I do need to see. This will give me a chance to do that before this comes down. Uh, down it comes down the pipe. Uh, it is a movie that um that spawned like five or four or five sequels, I think. Uh, but this is going to be a remake, and most interestingly. Um, it has, it has, uh, uh, gotten a director known as Calmatic. Now people probably won't know that name, but people will know the video that he directed. It is of Old Town Road, the song that dominated the, uh, the billboard charts for half of this year before being overtaken by Billie Eilish. And set set records for that. Uh, it's, I think, the longest-running uh, chart-topper in, in Billboard history, or, like, the second longest, maybe the longest. And he directed the music video, which featured, like, Chris Rock and um, uh, a couple of other actors in addition to Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus. And um, LeBron James is producing this particular thing. He's gotten into producing stuff through Spring, Spring Hill Entertainment Recently, it's also going to be uh, a script written by Stephen Glover and Jamal Alori who are writers for Atlanta. Um, and I think one of them is also uh, – I think that they're also on uh, Saturday Night Live. They're writers for that. So anyway, again, this is just kind of reporting. I've, again, I've never seen the movie. Um, it does sound fun. I've, I've always been interested in seeing it. I just never have taken the opportunity for whatever reason. Um, but the original was a big success. And, uh, at that, at that point, uh, this was, this was big. It made $26 million. Um, I think that that would be, uh, something that like at least 60 or 70 by today's standards. Um, so anyway, maybe not by today's standards. It's so, it's so great, but whatever the case, this does sound fun. So, the last bit of news, and that's literally what I mean, folks. There's really no more news. No more, no more news than this. Uh, kind of a light week for news too. Um, there is an there's another remake of a primarily African American led uh, property, the 1996 crime drama "Set It Off," which starred Jada Pinkett Smith, Queen Latifah, Vivica A. Fox, and Kimberly Elise. Uh, one of the few movies from the 90s to be uh, entirely led by by black women is getting a remake and it's from Issa ray who you know i know that chase (laughs) kind of has a has a thing out for her because of little earlier this year but she's also in charge of insecure on on hbo she had a uh, a bit role and i think produced the hate you give last year so she's been in charge of you know in in um uh, she's had her hand in really successful stuff in previous years and um and now she's going to be producing, potentially starring in this new version of the uh, of the story, which will be written by uh, Syreeta Singleton, who works on Black Monday, and Nina Glowstar of Star. Um, and let's see, do they have a director yet? I don't think they have a director s- attached yet. Um, interestingly enough, because he's come up as a big... Uh, blockbuster director f gary gray f gary gray was the director of the original movie um he's come he's he's gone in (laughs) some different directions since then but uh but yeah so that is it guys there's really no there's really no other news that was really worth talking about except of course for the possibility of that princess bride remake that would have that would have really padded out this section so we have another short episode for you this week but in any case um Chase, what do you make of all of these points of news?
0: Uh, let's start from the bottom and go our way to the top here. Uh, you know what, Easter Rae, yeah, little was really bad. But I, um, I, I, I talked with the lady, and we we are definitely going to watch Insecure at some point because we we're like trying to watch all these shows and uh, what we're going to watch in order and everything. And you know, I was telling her that, hey, listen, I got access to HBO. Let's. You know, make the make the most of it, and insecure is definitely on our list. So I want to see like what she can do and what kind of put her on the map, uh, so to speak. And and, you know, with like the Hate You Give, like you said, that was a fantastic film. So um, I I will I will give her chances for sure. Uh, But Little is definitely a movie I don't remember past this year. So there you go. House Party, I got no skin in that game. I don't think I've seen any of those movies. So. Cool. Um, The uh, Disney um, developing that uh, type of uh, content is really cool. Uh, uh, Medieval times, Middle Ages, Knights in Armor. I I love that type of stuff. So, sure, uh, I I am down for that. And then uh, with the Dream Doll thing, this is what fascinates me. Not an actual Barbie uh, movie, doll movie movie. What about the creator? What was going through their mind when they created such a thing? You know, were they thinking about the cultural impact? Were they thinking about, you know, just making money? Were they thinking about uh, putting their uh, agenda to make women and girls look like that? Who, who know? I want to like. I want to know. I want to know this person, uh, and so really kind of focusing on the creator of that and seeing where their thought process was is fascinating to me. Um, and, uh, I really want to see that. So if I, if I had to pick my favorite bit of news, it would be, uh, it, it would be Dream Doll. Cause you know, I, uh, I've grown up around Barbies my entire life and stuff, you know, through cousins and, uh, just other people. And they've always fascinated me just as a thing in general, because, you know, uh, as, uh, as boys and stuff, you know, we had, we had the action figures and stuff and, Girls had the Barbies and stuff, and my
1: just... m- my grandmother um, was, I guess, in her twenties or thirties when they started coming out with them, and actually collected them for her for nearly her entire life. Um, she's still alive. This this is grandmother who's still alive. She recently sold them all, um, just because she did. She felt like she didn't need them, and she didn't really have. It, it, they're not. They're not so much like such a cultural icon anymore, just because. Other things have come out since then. So she felt like she didn't really have anybody to safely pass them on to. Um, and so she sold them all and she got a lot of money because they were all you know, original models. So yeah, I mean, I, I feel like she would probably be pretty fascinated by this. Um, and may have remembered some of that story just because she was around when they came out. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. can imagine that that's, that's sort of the people who grew up with these playing with them or displaying them or whatever they did. Right. Um, And that that kind
0: of goes to my point is that, you know, in in 2019, there's a lot of people that have issues with Barbie dolls. I, you know, it's whatever to me. I just I didn't grow. I don't have a personal connection to him, so they don't really bother me per se. But I understand where people are coming from. But, you know, the person that created this, it was a a long, long time ago. So we're dealing with like a different era, a different decade of, of mindset going on versus now. So you know getting inside of that kind of brain like that that's you know uh, in the past is is really really cool so um yeah did, uh, was there is there like any release date or any director attached to it or was it just kind of like announced uh
1: i don't think that there's a director attached i think it's just okay. uh i think it's just rita wilson of course the uh <laughs> the page has failed there it is um yeah, I think it's just there's. Oh, uh, it does have a screenwriter. I'm sorry, I didn't see this. Uh, Melissa Wallach, who actually co-wrote or wrote or something, uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Ooh. So okay. Yeah, which uh, which I know you like a lot. You had that on your top ten. That year. yes. Um, yeah. So uh, good good screenwriter. I thought that that movie was really well structured. So if there's there's going to be, I mean, obviously different stories entirely, but if there's going to be a similar energy to tell, you know, to to create a biopic, I'm fine with Wallach being involved. I did not notice that. I only noticed that they didn't put that in the article for some reason. They put, they included Rita Wilson's tweet about it, but uh, anyway, they didn't include the information about Wallach in the uh, in the article. But yeah, that's the they don't have a director yet, but Wallach is is attached as uh, a as screenwriter. So that's uh, pretty good. Yeah, I, I would actually have to agree with you. That's my favorite bit of news. I just I don't have any like you. I don't have any skin in the game with House Party or or Set It Off. I've never seen either of those, uh, so I don't really have an opinion on that. And then the night thing is is exciting. It's just I need to know more about that.
0: Right. Joel, I does, it, I, I, does this make me a bad person when there were actual rental stores and uh, you could walk in, you could see stuff? They were, I'm not going to say similar covers, but they were like loud with the colors on the 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 covers of these movies. Well, when I was a kid, I don't know why I always thought like Friday and House Party were like the same. <laughs> a movie because like they would always have like people having they're fun v- on the they're covers. They're very like, similar. Yeah,
1: I, I work. I work at a movie rental store, and th- they are on our shelves. Both of those, and um, and yeah, I mean there there is a there's a similar color scheme. There's a similar energy. Uh, the only thing that really isn't similar is the font. But um, right. But other than that, yeah, I mean they 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 are. And people will commonly I find um buy buy or rent them together. Actually. Oh, so that's uh, yeah. That's because like uh, I, a I've funny seen,
0: thing. I've seen Friday, and obviously I went towards that one because I, I like Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. But like I, I should, I should have by this point have finally seen it and uh, uh, understood why my young little mind was just like, oh, bo- both of those are this the same <laughs> the movie same in the same movie. universe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> both in the house, uh, the the party universe. Yeah. I think the one that's
1: kind of been lost is hanging with the homeboys, which I came, I think, came out around the same time as house party. I don't know much about that one, and it's not very available. <laughs> I don't but, know uh, what
0: that is. <laughs> right, exactly. Up- yeah, I think that it's,
1: I think that it's been lost. But that's that's another one that has a good uh, good reputation, and it's just kind of been forgotten in the age of DVD for some reason. I think that the DVD is manufactured on demand. Um, okay, so. That's it, folks. that's the news. I really wish that that there would you know because I like I like a bit of the longer episodes I guess um, I really I kind of wish that I hadn't found that out about the the princess bread thing almost uh, just because we could pad it out but we are done with everything uh, except for the review now it's time to get into it this is our review of the goldfinch um, all right so this is the new movie from director John Crowley of Brooklyn and uh, closed circuit, and it is an adaptation of the twenty, I think, twenty thirteen novel by Donna Tart which uh, won the Pulitzer Prize, and um, it comes from screenwriter Peter Strawn, who has had a wildly strange career, ranging from how to lose friends and alienate people to Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Spy. Uh, strange, strange career for sure, and this is the latest uh, from both of them. The story follows um, Theo, who is played as a young boy by Oakes Fegley and in adulthood by Ansel Elgort. Um, in childhood, his life was altered by a terrorist attack of some sort at an art museum that left many dead, except for him, but including his mother. Uh, his mother did pass away in that uh, explosion. Uh, in fact, she was in the room where it occurred. And uh, he was just outside of it, and as part of a dying man's wish, um, he is sent to a shop, an, an antique shop, to deliver a key, which kind of sets, him, sets his life on a specific kind of purpose. He ends up delivering that key, or whatever it was, uh, I forgot what it was, to, um, to that shop, who's the, the owner's played by Jeffrey Wright. And he also ends up going to a house uh, of a close family friend, or a relatively close family friend, played, played by Nicole Kidman and her children. Um, eventually, though, he moves back in with his deadbeat absentee father, played by Luke Wilson. And then the story also shifts into the future when um, there has been a theft uh, that has gone throughout the, the years of a popular painting from inside that art museum. And that's where the movie gets its title from, the, um, uh, the, F- the Fabricius painting, The Goldfinch. Um, and the question, of course, at the center of the movie, is where did that painting go? And what is the cost of that painting's theft? Um, or at least it should be. But unfortunately, I have no idea what this movie is trying to say or do with that plot line. Uh this is a big old mess guys. Uh <laughs> So the buzz out of Toronto uh where it showed um was not good. It was it was not positive to say the least. And you know you always take stuff like that with a grain of salt just because it is in the uh the fervor of a film festival people are seeing a lot of movies. So you want to you want to disbelieve this stuff especially because this is a big prestige movie. It's 150 minutes long, and and I always like to see long movies come out in theaters. Uh, It's shot by Roger Deakins, who is probably the best working cinematographer, maybe, if not him, then Lubeski. So clearly, everything is going in this movie's favor. It's got a great cast, not not only Nicole Kidman, Luke Wilson, Ansel Elgort, and Jeffrey Wright, but um, Finn Wolfhard and uh, Sarah Paulson, and just a bunch of other people who are, you know, theoretically um, in good hands here with Crowley, who directed one of the best movies of, the, of 2015, Brooklyn, a, a ravishing, you know, sweeping romance, uh, old-fashioned entertainment. And I think that what kind of collapses this particular movie is the fact that I think that Crowley's trying to reinvigorate some of the energy, some of, the energy that he had with Brooklyn which was again very old fashioned and here we have an old fashioned prestige type prestige type uh puzzle drama um something maybe a little bit more fincheresque than something like Brooklyn but it's still very big very uh very much a big production lots of lush colors and it traveled to the world <laughs> almost in the same way um, Lots of, char- lots of characters uh, confronting their fates and all of that. That's so old-fashioned in, in Hollywood dramas. But I think that, that what happens is Crowley and Strawn lose, compl- lose control completely of the story that they're trying to tell. They are entirely um, uh, focused on the plot here. And I think that the plot is just a big old mess, like I said. So as the movie plays out, it shifts between the past segments with uh, Fegley playing Theo and the present, the representative present um, of Elgort playing Theo. And I don't know, I, I feel like you would agree with me on this, Chase. I don't know whether or not Crowley knows whether knows kind of which Theo's story to tell if you know what I mean. So I think that the slightly better segments are the ones in the past slightly. I'm going to get into a major problem with them in a second but I think that there is a little bit more a little bit more dramatic forward motion in those segments. Um, You have you know, first of all, the attack, which is presented, you know, over and over again in this very, very grim detail, um, and ultimately is played out near the end of the movie. We see it in its in its entirety from Theo's perspective, and it's uh, beautifully shot, or well, starkly shot by Deacons, who keeps everybody in kind of this fog um, of the, the dust from the attack, you know, on the inside of the building, and... Um, and so you have that, you have him trying to make sense of this tragedy while also making sense of the various places where he finds that he doesn't belong in this new life without a mom. Um, you know, for him, it was the wrong parent who died almost kind of a situation like that because he's not close to his father and he was very close to his mother. They were, they were very close and. Now he's kind of being thrust into this new existence. And I think that at least in a little bit of a way, um, probably through Fegley's performance, which is really the only one here that has any sort of um, power, uh, you get a sense of the sadness of this whole situation. Um, Unfortunately, I feel like there's also a case of basically Crowley and Strong just kind of, and maybe Tart as well, the author, kind of just piling a lot of suffering on this kid because he uh and they basically just build him to be this very unsympathetic protagonist. Um, he starts, you know, acting out in a very rebellious way that takes so that takes up most of his screen time. He starts uh, smoking as, re, uh, as and doing drugs as a re, as a result of his uh, friendship with Boris, who is played by Finn Wolfhard as a kid and Anjuran Barnard uh, later on as an adult, um, and. You know, he just kind of keeps stringing along this girl who also sur- who also survived the attack, um, without really doing anything about it. She she ends up being something of a um, of a passive presence until the end of the movie, and then you have this relationship with his father, which just kind of causes him to internalize everything, which means that he just becomes a passive protagonist who is just reacting to everything around him. Um, that's a major problem because Fegley's performance, I, like I said, is good enough that it deserves a better character. But the major problem with this movie is the future segments or the present segments starring Elgort, who is at a complete loss for this role. He does not fit this role at all. He doesn't He doesn't seem like he has a good I, – I, I call this chemistry for lack of a better term, um, but chemistry with Oaks Fegley – In the way that they are both playing the same character, they don't feel like they're playing the same character to me. Um, There's nothing here, for instance, that matches or even comes close to matching the different stages of Chiron and Moonlight. You know, that's that's sort of, I think, the the gold standard uh, right now of young actors um, and, you know, the older actors playing the same character. They didn't talk. I have a feeling that there was a lot of. Compromise and and um, and studying uh, between fegly and Elgort. I don't think it pays off because Elgort is just a complete dead-eyed cipher. And speaking of dead-eyed cipher, that's everybody else here. Uh, none of the other characters are really important to this narrative, other than to have some place uh, within the narrative that is relative to Theo. Uh, none of them. None of them are their own people. They're all just. Pawns in this weird mystery that that is completely anticlimactic and it's premised on this hilariously overwrought and undercooked coincidence you know exactly what I'm talking about chase um of when the movie comes into the present day and there's a reunion between two of the characters it is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen and I don't even care if it's in the novel if it's in the novel then that's a problem with the novel too unless they were able to paint over that in some way uh through the writing um this whole thing becomes just about the, the puzzle of the mystery, and I hate that. Just a puzzle box that needs to be solved. I, I, don't, I don't need us to solve the plot of this movie. I need this movie to come to some sort of a properly climactic resolution, and this one doesn't do it. It just strings us along in the present segments and uh, presents us with this character who just gets deeper and deeper into depression and, and, um, and general sluggishness, and it just carries over to the movie. It's such a slow-moving, slow-building kind of uh, build to this, um, to this completely anticlimactic mystery that means absolutely nothing, nothing at all. It's, there's nothing that this movie's saying about its characters, or its plot, or the mystery, or what it means, or the painting and its and its whereabouts, or the characters who are looking for it, or the characters uh, who are uh, on the sidelines of this story. It, it constantly brings up characters that it then discards. There's no reason, ultimately, for Nicole Kidman to be present. There's no reason, ultimately, for Luke Wilson or Sarah Paulson to be present. It completely disregards all of that. And I'm telling you right now that this movie's cut into two, and it's the second, the second half chronologically, uh, meaning the stuff with Elgort, that makes this one of the most unpleasant experiences I've had at a movie this year. Um, this thing goes on and on and on and on and on and more, and it just about doesn't stop. It was, I'm going to quote Brian Talarico of Roger Ebert, who put this on his uh, Letterboxd profile. Um, he might have put it in his review, too. I actually didn't read the review because he published it Pretty soon before I was going to see the movie, I didn't want anything um, to uh, to influence me. But basically, he put it really well. Um, Don't fact check this, but it's the longest movie ever made uh, because it really feels just completely endless. I have a feeling that The Irishman, which is about, I think, maybe an hour longer than this, is probably going to feel... Uh, an hour shorter than this. I'm, I'm going to just, I'm just going to guess that because it felt like I was in there for, for quite a while, um, for a long, long time. And it, and it was just not a pleasant experience. This, this is a real catastrophe. And I think it's a catastrophe of nerves um, or of nerve, I should say, I guess not nerves, but nerve and uh, focus because it's completely unfocused um, and skill. It, moves along at a sluggish pace it looks good you know deacons it's not as it's not great deacons but it's not an off day for him looks good that's definitely why I'm giving it the grade I'm getting giving it and not a bit lower <laughs> but man it's bad and yeah so this is this is one of the biggest disappointments for me this year bar none uh, I was expecting this to be one of the best movies of the year um, whether it makes my bottom 10, we'll see how I'm feeling by the time December comes out. But right now, it's a definite contender for that, and it's certainly in it. So we'll see what happens. But uh, for right now, yeah, I'm giving this one a D, solid D. Um, it is not, 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 not a good movie. And uh, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, even though I just talked for 15 minutes straight, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words <laughs> almost because... This thing just steps so wrong in so many in so many different ways, um, structurally, conceptually, thematically, particularly thematically, because there's nothing underneath the surface of this movie. So Chase, take it away. Did you feel the same way as me?
0: I I feel offended that you said all those terrible things about this movie because I feel the exact same way. I was just joking. Um. So. <laughs> With this movie, you know, I wasn't really expecting much, but when you go into a movie seeing the absolute slaughter that this movie went through with Tiff, I got a little worried a little bit. I was like, it can't be that bad, right? It's pretty bad. So, I... um, I wouldn't go as far as to say like what David Ehrlich is screaming out into the void with, which is disaster. A disaster to me is it just fails on every single front, and that I'm, I'm talking like full-on F movie. This is not the case. I will find good and even the worst things, unless it just tries really hard to just be bad at everything. Um, but this movie is not a total disaster. It's a very bad movie, but not a total disaster. Um, I would actually say that the writer's previous movie, um, which was uh, Joel and I's favorite movie of 2017, The Snowman, was worse than this movie. Um,
1: (laughs) So Uh, It's not worse than The Snowman.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. The Snowman's worse than The Goldfinch. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's what yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like that, I would consider that a total disaster.
1: Right, 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 right. Yeah. So No, this is this is this is closer than I would want, but it's it's yeah. it's
0: not as bad. No. That's what no. I'm saying. So, you know, uh, uh, maybe, maybe Peter uh, what's his name, Sh- Strongman?
1: Strong. Uh, S yeah, Strong. So
0: uh, Peter Strong go on vacation. Um <laughs> That's all <laughs> I gotta say. I'm sorry. Uh that was mean. Um so let me start with the positives first, and let me get that out of the way, and then we'll dive into the deeper problems with this movie. Yes, Roger Deakins' cinematography is warm. It's crisp. It's inviting. There's even a couple shots that even scream out, I am Roger Deakins. I am one of the best in the business. Uh, and even playing with um, sunset uh, silhouettes that he's really good at doing. Uh, just watch Sicario. You'll know what I'm talking about. He's really great at utilizing daylight, um, uh, warm lamplight, fluorescent lighting. He is a man that sets the mood in anything that he shoots. He frames really well. He is an expert at his craft. There's a reason why, well, he should have won it a long time ago, but a reason why he has an Oscar now, and I agree with Joel. It's him and Lubezki. Uh They're they're the best in the business, uh, for sure. Especially Lubesky. The guy won three in a row. Uh, you can't touch him. Uh, so... Deacons is not an issue with this movie even as Joel said it's not an off day for him um he still manages manages to make this movie look interesting and find interesting ways to light and frame the scene the production design and the costuming are they're they're fine uh, for what it is you know it's very uh, a very lavish rich setting that uh, Theo is in for the majority of his life and you know it it's dressed well, uh, I, I will say, but um, that's as far as the positives go. So let's let's dive into this thing. So, I think the biggest issue is probably Crowley and Strawn. So I've I've never read the book. Um, you know, I kind of want to read it now as to know why it won the Pulitzer Prize and why it was adapted into this version. of... But I just felt like there was confusion from many different angles. So I guess to, to start with uh, with Strawn is that there's a lot going on in this script. There's a lot that this book, and I'm assuming the book, uh, tackles. And so when you are adapting this and you're trying to tackle all these things uh, thematically, emotionally, and trying to draw out some type of story... It can be overwhelming, and I felt like Strong was just overwhelmed throughout the entire um script in this thing. Like, it, when the movie starts, you're like, okay, it sounds promising, I guess. And as it just keeps going, it, it's almost this aloof type of story structure that never finds like its point or like what it's trying to make as its point, it's just going with the flow. Showing random scenes in random order for no reason. By the way, they should have just played this chronologically. And I don't know if it would have made a difference, but who knows? Um, if you just would have played it in chronological order, and uh, you know, fi- found some type of point and cut off that whole mystery at the end, you might have had something. Um, but it, it just it never finds its voice. It's just it's just kind of there, and that's like one of the worst things you can ever say about a movie. Is uh, saying that you wasted two and a half hours on just a movie just aloof in front of you, um, and I got to address the uh, the the mystery at the end that's solved. It feels like a di- a completely different movie, and Joel is completely right. Like when he meets this certain character, you're like I do not believe this for a second. This almost feels like a dream sequence. There's no way this is real, uh, and just how the movie kind of carries out and. Um, feels like it has like 20 different endings. You're like, what does this have to do with the rest of the movie? It just feels so random. And so, once again, confusion, not knowing what you want. That is a huge issue for this film. Um, and I must say this is a more 50-50 split on Stron and Crowley's part. Uh, and then uh, after I make this point, I'll, I'll dive into Crowley. <sighs> when any movie depicts drug addiction it's a pretty serious thing and you know it's very hard to watch and if it makes sense for the character show it do what you gotta do and uh um if it makes your story better i, I understand put that in there it's a it's effective stuff that really shows the levels that a character will go and it's it, it's very devastating to watch right so in this movie Theo has a supposed drug addiction um, from snorting uh, Vicodin. The problem with that is it doesn't seem like it was necessary. and every time when it was shown, uh, it, it felt really awkward and really off to see. Like you're trying to make this like addiction this really big deal, right? But it just comes out of nowhere, and it's 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 shot, it's directed as this, like, intense thing, right? And then it doesn't even happen again for, like, 30, 40 minutes, and you're like, I don't really neces for this character. And you're making it seem like a big deal, and it doesn't even matter uh, throughout most of the movie. It just, it felt, it felt disrespectful a little bit. Um, so I I feel like none of that worked whatsoever and they set it up very poorly so uh, they should have just kept that out and if that was going to be your main crutch for this character emphasize it more I'm not saying you got to snort stuff every five minutes but you can't just do it and then ditch it an hour later and then come back to it because then it just seems like it's disingenuous so um, didn't really appreciate that so kind of going into Crowley's directing a little bit this whole thing is misguided. Um, I don't know why half the movie linear, the other is uh, is a, a straightforward narrative. If you're gonna do one uh, one form, you need to stick with it. So when you're flopping back and forth like that, it it takes a lot away uh, of the emotional resonance that you need for each scene, right? And it just kind of takes it away a little bit. And then when we get to the actual point in the story where it's a continuing narrative, you just don't care at that point. And um, uh, Joel put it perfectly. Uh, when he, he watched it and he walked out of it, he he texted Brian and I saying, it's kind of impressive that there wasn't even an ounce of emotional like resonance in this movie. And it, it's true. It's just like people are going through the motions and, depicting these things they're supposed to hit thematically but never ever do um and there's a there's a couple of scenes in the movie that um display how awkward and off this movie is but one of them um was very simple Uh, but it, it captures the problems with this movie in a nutshell there's a scene where uh theo is on a bus he's looking outside whatever the scene cuts to him being introduced to Finn Wolfhard's character, okay, and then it goes back to the bus where he just automatically sits next to him, and then their friendship quote-unquote forms. Why did you edit it that way? Why did you tell the narrative that way? It makes no sense, and it just feels awkward. The way you do it is that you uh, it, it, start with the classroom, then go to the bus, show so show a shot of him coming onto the bus and then saying, Hey, or whatever. And then sitting down, that would make more sense to me. But when you watch it, the way it is structured like that, it's like, why are you doing this Crowley? It just, it, it makes no sense. Like they're trying to be like this avant garde type of art piece and, you know, doing and structuring the story this way. But it just comes across as just confusion and you don't know what you're doing. And so Oh, uh, once I saw that scene, I was like, okay, no one really knows what what's going on. Um, so, uh, which is really funny by the way, because when I when I reviewed this movie on YouTube, um, I, I'm, I'm saying the exact same stuff that I'm telling you guys right now. And some guy commented below, like, you know, the book is amazing. You're so wrong. And I'm like, I'm not talking about the book. I'm talking about the movie. And so that, that just, that just shows my point right there. It is very hard to adapt stuff. And, um, Uh, If the book is great, then it's great. It just does not translate well into this movie. Um, And the last thing I will say uh, before I give my grade is the acting, the acting, the acting. I will say up at the top that um, Nicole Kidman and Jeffrey Wright are at least tolerable for what they're given. They're not in it that much, but they do the best that they can. And they were the two actors in this movie that actually gave me hope and there was potential in their scenes. And I was like, there's a story here that needs to be told. There's a story here that can be told and they're trying to make it work. It's just everything else around it around them just kind of falls apart. So I I saw the potential in this movie in several scenes, by the way. Uh, You could probably make this into a movie. Um But I I honestly don't know how you can fix it. Um, But maybe that will be for another time. But they were the only two tolerable actors in this movie. Ansel Elgort uh, looks like he's uh, lost on set. Like, he doesn't even look like he belongs there. And he's just kind of looking around, just saying his lines. And I agree with Joel. Like, he does not fit his younger counterpart, even with, like, the character they developed with him. Um, It just... It made no sense uh, for for that transition in actors. Um, everyone else is kind of what? Well, every other adult's kind of like whatever. I think Luke Wilson and Sarah Paulson are completely miscast. They do not fit the roles they're, whatsoever. They're both
1: they're both kind of atrocious. They they are I very thought. bad.
0: Like I totally think
1: overplaying are, every single yeah, line yeah every single yeah.
0: line. They're just they're really milking it, and it's almost like Crowley's like, listen. This is a really important scene that you are uh, abusive parents like you need, to, you need to hammer that in it's like no nah, there's probably easier yeah, ways to do that. It's
1: it's almost as if he was giving like very vague instructions to them as a director he was just saying, you know, okay, amplify that. You know, bring it up. More more more. You know, more intense or whatever like George Lucas would do with his uh, Star Wars movies, you know, faster and more intense. But they look as actors lost as to why they're playing the scenes that way. And so like, there's this one thing where he, and he looks completely out of character doing this because you don't expect Luke Wilson to do this. He grabs a wall and yells. It's just before, it's just before um, Theo runs out of the house. Remember? And yeah, yeah.
0: Um, it was, it was weird. <laughs> yeah. Was like, it's why really... did you direct him to do that?
1: Right. Exactly. And he looks completely lost because he's he's Owen Wilson, you know he's he's this actor who tr- who primarily does quiet, more introspective roles. He's a lot he's a lot less gregarious than his brother, and I think that uh, that here it's literally there's there's even a moment where you kind of see Luke Wilson, not not the character where you see Luke Wilson, prepping himself to yell, almost. There's this look on his face right before he does it. Where he's like, okay, now I got to just really yell, really loudly, <laughs> and he doesn't look at all comfortable doing that. And so, yeah, it's they're completely misdirected, completely misguided performances. Uh, I would, I would honestly put Luke Wilson's performance among the, the worst or the least effective of the year. Maybe not the worst. Um, he's he's still at least a professional actor, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it's just – it's going back to, to Crowley is the main problem of this, I think. I think it's a little bit more uh, more than 50-50 in, in terms of the, the weight being placed on Crowley. But, um, but yeah, he's completely misdirecting his actors, uh, most of them at least. And I think that Nicole Kidman really only survives
0: – Because she's Nicole Kidman. Because
1: <laughs> she's Nicole Kidman, exactly. And she doesn't have much to do.
0: She really doesn't.
1: In, yeah, I mean she's got to look pensive a lot. <laughs> And um, and I think that there is, uh, the reunion between them, those two characters. I think I think is probably one of the better scenes, because of how she reacts to it. And I think that it was an unexpected kind of reaction, almost. And I think that Kidman makes it work. And I guess you're right about uh, you're right about right. <laughs> um, you know he's he was trying. But yeah, I just think that Crowley was at a loss, was trying so hard to try to figure out how to make the story work that he forgot about his actors, and I think that right. a lot of them just kind of walked through this material. Like it was honestly. kind
0: of it was embarrassing to see Sarah Paulson this way because like yeah. she is, she's a, listen. When Luke Wilson is in the right role, he works. But let's let's face the facts: she is a hundred times better than him, and she and Crowley managed. To direct her on the same level as Luke Wilson's performance, and I was shocked. I was like, "Why? Like you could at least make her good." Like it just so they were yeah, exactly. they were completely miscast. And here is the the um, nail in the coffin: all the kids in this movie are god awful. Now, <laughs> I I will I will say that when it is done correctly, kid actors can be some of the most amazing talents on screen. But for the most part, they are always handled uh, in the most awkward fashion. So Oakes Fegley is awful in this movie, and he is the main character. I I don't care what movies he did before this, but his line delivering this was stilted. the 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 brother that he had, the one that they awkwardly had f bombs with, weird. Like he yeah, was also Yeah, that was
1: weird. Off. That came out of
0: nowhere. <laughs> yeah, he just like, "Hey, f you, <laughs> f you too," and it's almost like Strawn's like, "Yes, this is how children talk." It's like, "Yes, that is how children talk," but you could write it differently. He's, like it's he's
1: Steve. He's Steve Buscemi in the "How Do You Do, Kids?" movie <laughs> as how a director. Do you do it, kids, like,
0: and he, <laughs> here, here was the the worst uh, child line performance, and even another testament as to. The complete misguiding uh, uh, story that uh, Crowley was trying to weave, because we're like, why did this character come out of nowhere, and then we don't see him for thirty minutes, and he's a different actor because he's grown up. There's a, and I, I know we keep this show PG, but I'm gonna say something, uh, a line from the movie that's you know not PG, but bear with me it, because th- this, the scene is is hilarious for all the wrong reasons. There is a scene where they're eating dinner. Oaks Fegley, you know, young Theo, and his adoptive family. And there's this kid that comes in the scene. And we're like, well, first of all, who are you? He sits down, and he's like, who do I have to, uh, who's going to blow me to get a, a cup of coffee around here? And then Nicole Kim is like, oh, go back to your room. And then she looks at Oaks Fegley, and I kid you not, she says this. Oh, you remember him, don't you? And I'm like, we don't as an audience, who is this kid? He leaves the scene and then 30 minutes later, I swear to you, he's an adult version and Theo goes, "Oh hey, what's up?" and I'm like, "Who are you?" And he's and he's like, "Oh yeah, you're the you're the he doesn't say this, but like, "Oh, you're the uh that teenager kid that said blow me for some coffee." And I'm like, "What? What? It's almost like they had to put that scene in there to establish his character 30 minutes on." It was strange. And so that was the the peak of terrible child acting was that the teenage kid coming in about the cup of coffee and leaving and we don't see him again. So all the kids are atrocious in this movie. And yes, that includes Finn Wolfhard putting on some weird Russian accent. It, he was just bad in this. It's movie. more like
1: it's more like uh, well, it's weird <laughs> the character's backstory well, one is completely useless. Uh, it, it basically factors in through that, you know, coincidence. I'll just say uh, at the end when we're trying to figure out the the answer to this riddle. But basically, they they established the character's been all over the place, uh, all over Europe, all over the United States, and various places all over South America. And he was he was born in the Ukraine, and he. Uh, he lived in Russia for a little bit. So basically what they've decided to do is instead of just making him American-accented, which would make – or, or predominantly American-accented, which would make more sense considering his his past includes very little of the Ukraine and Russia – they make him have this really weird, muddled Russian accent that absolutely makes no sense. There's no regional specificity to it. It's just well, and he doesn't. You're even Russian. St- he
0: doesn't even <laughs> stick it once. Like I'm right. listening to him speak this weird accent. Right? He doesn't even land the accent in one sentence. Like it's all yeah. over the place. It never. Has any stability? And
1: well, I think that part of my point is that I think that that part of the point of the character is that it's a muddled accent. So that's, right, what, they're going, that's even, what they're going.
0: That's they're going for. They're going for that, do it but very even well because he's he's trying too sorry. hard. Like it, it's <laughs> right.
1: I think I think that basically it's sort of a director actor, maybe a miscommunication or something. Because I think that what Finn Wolfhard's trying to do. Is a solid Russian accent. What it's written as is a muddled one, and so he's he's trying to make a decision at any given moment in the performance, and it just completely bogs down the performance. He's terrible here, and it it doesn't it doesn't stick to any sort of specific idea. He's just it, it becomes a, an act of mugging for the camera, basically. It's a caricature. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's bad. Yeah, exactly.
0: And and, and uh, this is also. Uh, speaking of his character, because I keep coming up with stuff that I keep forgetting, uh, which I saw it a week ago and I, f- I thought I forgot about it, but it just <laughs> angers me to my core. Um, funny. As as John Crowley, you know, uh, uh, kind of comes in and goes out with the whole like drug addiction thing. What happened? I'm going to go ahead and just say it for you guys. So if you care to watch it, then just skip it. Um, so there's a so obviously like uh, Theo and uh, Finn Wolfhard's character, like they. They're friends, right? Like, they look like they have a good friendship. They kiss in the movie, and they just... He runs away, and when he comes back, and they're all adults now, they never bring it up. And I'm like, why Why introduce it? It goes back to the whole drug addiction thing. Why introduce it if you're just going to bring it up and then forget about it for an hour? It makes... it. Confusion. Confusion, Joel. I am confused about reviewing this movie because they're confused about making it. I just, I don't even know what life is anymore. Uh, don't yeah. see this movie. Please skip it. D. Plus. Uh, and I'm only giving the plus swing because uh, Deacons was trying and uh, um, production costume is fine with me. So uh, uh, skip everything else. But if you want to watch a very long winded, um, uh, unfunny uh, movie that tries to be serious, then go ahead and put yourself through that torture. I recommend it. Uh, and, yes, uh, I agree with Joel and Brian Tallarico. It is uh, one of the longest movies ever made. Do not fact-check <laughs> on that. Uh, oh, it may, it may be listed as
1: 150 minutes, I, I, I like even I even 780 minutes.
0: <laughs> I, I made this uh, observation when I walked out of the theater, and I stand by this, and you guys can uh, call me out. I don't even care. This movie felt longer than It Chapter 2, and It Chapter 2 was longer. Like, I—, I like, I, I walked out of that movie going, okay, It Chapter 2, I can feel the length, but it didn't really bother me. This movie was shorter, and it felt like five years. So, yeah. take that for what you will.
1: Yeah, it's bad. And it felt uh, infinitely longer than Avengers Endgame, which is a lot longer than than It Chapter 2. <laughs> so, yeah, it really just moves very slowly, very, uh, uh, very monotonously uh, down this uninteresting path. So... Definitely one of, the, one of our least favorite experiences of the year. Um, we'll find out you know, later on whether or not it actually makes a top ten list of the worst. But it's certainly a contender right now for both of us, I would say. All right. Uh, so that's it, folks. That's our review of The Goldfinch. Uh, definitely do not see this movie. It's really bad. And that is it for the show um, for now. So um, next week... We are finally talking about Ad Astra. I saw it today. Uh, Chase saw it like a month ago or something. I'm uh, just kidding. About a week ago. <laughs> um, and I'm excited to talk about it. Let's just say that. I'm really excited to talk about this one. So it, there's a lot there's a lot to discuss. It, it's going to be whatever whatever the length of our like news and trailers section, it's going to be a long review because we've got a lot to, to break down, a lot more than we had with this or with Hustlers even. And um, – uh yeah, can't wait. So that's gonna be next episode two ninety three. Um, Chase, do we wanna do we wanna tell people now what a what October looks like?
0: Yeah, we, we might as well. Um, yeah, so we might as well. Joel, go ahead and introduce October's slate.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, we've we've mostly figured it out. Obviously, all of this is subject to change, just because you know release dates move around as we've as we've noticed. Um, so it may be that a couple of things here are different but we'll be keeping an eye on it and uh we'll obviously just you know um let y'all know about any changes as they come up but for now here's what it looks like so the first weekend of the month is the fourth and of course this is a big week because it's joker um and we're going to be talking about that so obviously it's going to be um one of the least controversial episodes of the show um wouldn't you say that, Chase? Wouldn't you say that that's a possibility?
0: <laughs> oh yeah, it's gonna be very tame.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, totally. Totally. Just a, a movie right now in everybody's uh, alley. Okay. The second week, I'm gonna be gone. Um, so because I'm going on vacation to uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, and uh, for a week, so we'll be we'll be vacationing there. So Chase will be alone. And uh, I guess Chase, you want to tell people what you're covering.
0: Yes, so I will be covering Gemini Man, which is ironic because you know, we do a podcast with two people. Will Smith is two people and I'm doing it by myself. <laughs> uh there you go, there is your uh, your joke for the night.
1: Wow. You made that up on the spot, didn't yes, you? Yes, I I I um,
0: really stretched for that one, so thank you.
1: That would that was actually that was actually pretty good for for an on the spot joke. Um okay, but the following week I will be back uh and here's the thing. So the kind of the Last two weeks of October and the first two weeks of November – we'll get to November later. But the last two weeks of October is kind of weird. So so here's what we have now, and then I'll probably – and I'll tell you what we might do if it comes to this. So what we have now is on the third weekend of October, which is the 18th, we do have Jojo Rabbit scheduled. Uh, That's when it's supposed to come out. But I don't know – I don't quite know if that's actually a wide release on the 18th, or if it's a limited release with a wider rollout on the 25th. So for now, we've got it on the 18th. If not, then we're going to be reviewing uh, Zombieland Double Tap. That would make more sense, I guess, as as the you know the big we, the big release of the weekend. But I wanted us to pivot toward uh, Oscar contenders if we if we could, and of course this week. Uh, It won uh, earlier this week. uh, Jojo rabbit won the audience award at TIFF uh, out of nowhere. I did not expect that to happen. So clearly big uh, contender. I definitely want to talk about it. So we will definitely be talking about it anyway, and we will be talking about it on the last weekend of October if that happens. But if it doesn't happen and we do talk about Jojo rabbit on the 18th, the last weekend will be when we review the lighthouse, the new Robert Eggers movie with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. So, um but we will then move that backward to the first weekend of november if in fact jojo rabbit is a uh, a wider release on october 25th so kind of a bit a bit of a confusing thing right now but to recap basically joker on the fourth gemini man from only chase on the uh, 11th um potentially jojo rabbit on the 18th and potentially the lighthouse on the 25th so Again, it could it could all change just because of this weird nebulous period of time from the 18th of October through the like the 8th of November, where a bunch of stuff might open at different dates than <laughs> than I anticipated. Uh, but whatever it is, it's all very exciting um, because even if we don't get to review um, like Terminator or something in in November, we're still reviewing a lot of really good movies. So uh, that's the plan right now. And I'm really excited for it. Uh, I'm really excited for this whole Oscar season. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be unreal, and uh, lots of great lots of great movies to talk about. So, that is the plan right now. Um, as for me, you can find my writing at joelonfilm.com. I took a break last weekend from reviews; just kind of filled my head too much. But this week, I do have reviews coming. I'll be writing a review tomorrow morning of Ad Astra, so you'll see that one uh, before. Our show next week, I also have reviews of The Goldfinch, uh, coming, and Downton Abbey. Uh, Downton Abbey, uh, was a long review that I didn't anticipate. It's nearly a thousand words, but it was worth it. Really good movie, and, uh, you'll be able to see that. So, that's my writing this week, um, and I should be having some stuff come soon to DallasMovieScreenings.com, which is where, uh, which kind of the, where the official podcast of that website. And then, um... Uh, You can follow my ramblings on Twitter at copling R-E-E-L-J-O-E-L-C-O-P-L-I-N-G. That's where you can find that. You can also search my name on Letterboxd uh, to follow my daily progress of watching movies. Um, I will say, just I guess a quick thing, next week is kind of weird for my website. I'm not reviewing anything theatrically. In fact, I'm not going to the movie from now until um, the following Monday. Uh, I'm taking a break from theatrical releases because I'm not super interested in Abominable. And there's really nothing else coming out. So, um, and I'm, you've already I'm, seen The Death
0: of Dick Long. I've
1: already seen The Death of Dick Long. I'm moving uh, Judy, which comes out next Friday to the following week. So anyway, um, but I will be reviewing movies. And I've been catching up with movies that were like really, really well regarded earlier in the year that for whatever reason weren't immediately available to me. I mentioned some of them. Ashes, Pierce White, The Souvenir... Um, Transit, and um, I've got a couple that I've I've still got to watch, including Birds of Passage and... What was the other one? Um, Oh, The Heiresses, which came out in January. Anyway, some movies like that, foreign titles that I just missed and really wanted to see when they they came out. I'll be writing reviews for those, and those will be next week. Um, This other thing I was going to (laughs) say... And this is this is sort of about my review schedule through um, on my website through October. Chase, you're going to think I'm insane for this because this is actually something that I told myself and I think I even mentioned to you I was never going to do. But here's the thing. It, it feels like we're heading toward an episode about the worst films of the year, which I definitely want to do because we see bad movies. It definitely feels like I'm moving toward one that is just not interesting because as of right now, the top five that I listed... At the, um, the halfway point of the year, all of those only moved down by one. <laughs> so, and we're like three months away, uh, three months out from that. So one or two maybe. And so what I've decided is I'm taking, I'm, I'm doing a similar thing. I'm, I'm uh, And this is the only time I'm doing this, but it is over several weeks. I'm going to be catching up with some movies with bad reputations from earlier this year. And I'm just going to see if they live up to that now. Obviously, you guys know me. This is not how I operate. I'm not watching them to decide that I hate them. That's not what's going to happen. If I like some of these, I'm going to say it. I may not review the movies if I if I do. I may, I may leave them uh, unreviewed on my website. But in order to kind of buff up the website, kind of pad out my list just a little bit, I'm going to see what happens when I review, for instance, or when I watch, for instance, a few, like uh, the one movie on your halfway through the year list that I had not seen, which was Little. I'm watching that one before uh december you know and i'm just watching some like um lo-fi kind of vod only movies and um some stuff that's available at my work that's already come to dvd some netflix originals that are really badly reviewed i'm just gonna see what happens and uh i'm just kind of going all out for this for this because uh, it's the last year of the decade and and i can do what i want so <laughs> um so i'm gonna be doing that i'm gonna be watching a bunch of those movies next week um, and before before I go off on uh, on vacation, so anyway, big week, big month. If I if I do, especially hate some of those movies, I'm going to be reviewing them on my website. Um, and I know that Chase is like probably shaking his head in disbelief, or maybe I don't know, maybe resignation because he knows me too well by now. Uh, maybe this is expected, but um, but that's what that's what my plan is. I just I just needed. I felt like I needed. To make the list a little bit more interesting, and so I'm going to see what happens when when I embark on that on that journey. So, anyway, um, it'll just be a couple of weeks of viewings, and and that's about it. But uh, but yeah. So, all right, folks, uh, that's me, Chase. Where can people find you online?
0: Listen, whenever Joel gets. Uh... Sent to a uh, a mental institution. We can look back on this episode right now, knowing that he put his brain through torture, watching all these movies, and we can pinpoint at this moment uh, as to how that He's, happened. So he
1: is he is not wrong. All right, <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, and then you can also uh, make sure you check out. Joel's reviews. I'm looking forward to his review of Downtown Abbey. Uh, it should be really uh, a, a fun read. Uh, so, uh, as he as he scowls. and Chase computer.
1: Chase has suddenly dropped from the call because he's
0: fired. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I can't hear you. I've lost <laughs> connection. Um, so yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Real Chase Lee, uh, and then of course uh, for this podcast, whether you're listening on Castbox, Spotify, uh, iHeart Radio, uh, Spreaker. Uh, Just wherever, uh, you know, please spread this around uh, and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. We would really appreciate that. Look out for the following stuff from my end. You guys will get a mini review of Abominable uh, next week sometime. I'm not sure when I'll drop that. The Sound of Silence, once I get that link uh, from IFC, the one with Peter Skarsgård. Then, of course, you guys will get the Ad Astra review uh, or episode. And then I will have an extra episode uh, covering the first ever North Texas Film Festival. So I'll probably drop that on not this coming Monday, but the next Monday. Uh, the 30th. Yeah, the 30th, because uh, I'm seeing films on the the previous Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So that will be the lineup for you guys on my end. So look out for that. But, uh, yeah, that will do it for this week's episode of 292 of the Real Men and Movie Podcast. Next week, 293, getting close to 300. Fun, fun, fun. So uh, that is Joel. I am Chase. See you guys next week. And uh, if you love movies, continue to come back. And if you were new, hopefully you join us for next week. You guys are awesome. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.